Max, it's great to talk to you again, man. Hey, John, I'm super glad to be back on uh, on the show and to have this conversation. I'm really looking forward to it. How are so, you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, and enjoying this journey down the rabbit hole and to the <laughs> fullest extent. And that means a lot of work too, uh, but it's good work, so it's fun. Yeah, you you seem to have you seem to be keeping extremely busy. The last time we spoke was, I think, the value of Bitcoin conference, I believe. And uh, you know, since then, I've been I keep, think so. keeping an eye on some of the stuff you've been doing. And uh, yeah, you're just you're nonstop uh, sharpening the tools, as you call it, sharpening the weapons. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we have to. Right? This, this is quite a, a tremendous situation that we're in, and we got to defend ourselves. Uh, so we got to have the, the good tools at our disposals uh, to defend our property and what we claim that is ours. Uh, so, so Bitcoin, of course, first, first and foremost, is a prime weapon to use in this. Uh, but of course, there are subsequent, uh, more niche strategies uh, to deploy in tools to. You still there, Max? <clears throat> yes. There seems to be a, a bit of lag when you uh, mute and unmute your mic. Is it possible just to leave it open the whole time? Okay, can do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we. Sp I think that conference was in May. Uh, how how disruptive has uh, the intervening months been for for you? Oh, I've, quite a lot since May. Uh, all the stuff that has happened. Um, you know, I think Wasabi um, was or is still one of my main uh, focuses, and it's something that has thrived in the last couple months. Um, specifically, I would say, well, the code base has just stayed rather stable, and, and there have been many like small refactorings and improvements and test cases and stuff to it. Um, no new major like development on that front. However, uh, what we are still doing is researching Wabi Sabi which is a novel CoinJoin protocol uh, using some fancy cryptographic magic uh, to make it work. And this, this research has been going uh, quite well for the last year. And specifically recently, uh, we've proposed a, um, like the cryptography that we use in this protocol to the Bitcoin Dev mailing list with the applied use case of CoinJoin. Um, and and that was, I had quite a good feedback uh, and thorough peer review, which was great. Um, and now we're we're continuing further research on transaction structures and and other nuances like this, uh, but but it's it's very compelling. Yeah, yeah, it seems like it, and I I, I think I rely on people like you that are so uh, deep into this stuff to kind of update me on on the state of you know the product, the tech, the service, and that kind of stuff. Um, what's been other than that? What's been uh, what's been on your mind the most since we last spoke? You know, wh whether it be related to Bitcoin or anything else. Yeah, you know, I've I've been um, I've I've been more and more st like struggling with resource allocation, right? Where where should I spend my time on? Um, mm -hmm. What is the most productive task that I could possibly follow? Um, and and that's a question that every entrepreneur ought to ask himself. And it's a very very difficult question to answer, to be honest. Uh, and this this was something that is specifically in the last couple months was a bit challenging. Um, so, so because specifically over the last um, three years almost, I've been using Wasabi Wallet or back then Hidden Wallet. And almost for the same time, I've contributed uh, back to the project in some shape or form. Um, and specifically the last two, one year, I have been very intense with contributions. For example, uh, just on, on the code level, although I'm, I'm not a developer, 
uh, I put on GitHub the notifications on the code base. So I get every single action that is happening there, every pull request, every issue, every comment uh, I, I could see and read. And th that was so awesome because it gave me such a unique insight into the, the overarching product uh, or project. And I got to closer understand the people working on there and, and why they're working on it and um, what drives them and what they like to build. And that was super rewarding work. Uh, just because well, all of these individuals are heroes working on Wasabi and they do incredible work. And it's just fun to to be part of that uh, and very meaningful too. But recently I just realized that, or that it was getting too much. Um, by now we have, I think, 17 full-time developers uh, working on the code base that just CK Snacks hires. I think in total over 60 contributors to the code base. Um, it's just getting too much uh, to, to follow everything. So, so I questioned if that was still a valuable investment of my time um, to, to try to keep up with all the happenings on GitHub uh, because I love doing it. It just gives me such a nice overview of, uh, of the Wasabi project, but it took away so many blocks per day uh, that it was just difficult to justify. Mm. And what else have you been working on? Like what, you know, you know, you say it's been taking up maybe a little bit too much time now. What what are some of the things that you've been wanting to devote attention to? Um, continuing research, that is for sure. I, I think that is, that well, that is something that I personally like to do. And I think I'm decently good at it uh, just because I can, uh, you know, fall down the rabbit hole further in all these niches and try to connect them. Uh, so that's that's work that I really love to do. Um, and, and the other main pillar is education. Um, so this is something that uh, is, is really uh, close to me and that I really like doing, actually. Uh, and again, I think is meaningful work. Um, and, and this is something where I will focus on. Uh, and specifically here, actually, uh, I, I've kind of been playing with the idea of writing a book. Um, there, there is, it's like been forming up in my mind over the last couple years. Uh, and I've, I've written on, on different subjects in different places, but I would really enjoy to write this, um, long form fundamental praxeological treatise that very well defines first arguments and axiomatic assumptions. Um, and, and then later builds a, a logically sound and reasonable model on top. Uh, specifically with the application on privacy uh, and how that comes into individual lives and into and to individual uh, liberty. Um, that's uh, that's something that has fascinated me for so long and where I think I, I have some interesting things to say. And I would love to read that. What's uh, Is it just a time issue right now or what, what's the holdup? Yeah, that, and that's really one of the things, right? Resource allocation. Uh, is it a worth investment of my time? I mean... It's going to take a while, probably a year until it's at a suitable point, um, you know, um, at least probably if it's at the, you know, a couple hundred pages. Um, and that then includes peer review and, and maintenance and all of this. Um, it's it's for sure a work, but it's something that I really enjoy doing. Um, I've, I've started the Wasabi documentation a year ago and was maintaining this. Uh, and, and this is basically a book by now. I mean, if you would print it, it, it has hundreds of pages uh, again, with, with 30 contributors um, to, the, to the documentation. It's, it's a huge archive of knowledge. Um, and it's, it's been so much fun to write it, but again, quite a lot of work too. Uh, so yeah, I'm not sure if it's a profitable allocation of my time because you know, uh, stacking stats is nice. Uh, so I gotta <laughs> see how to make it profitable. And I noticed, you know, part of the work you do 
you you kind of like you tender out not tender out but you uh, let the community know like a piece of work that you'd like to work on for example and then you see what kind of donations come in for that piece of work specifically right or something thereabouts can you kind of explain how you've been uh you know stacking sats by doing this type of work um, yeah, for sure. I think that that's a super important aspect uh, because contributing to free software is is utmost delightful, but it has to be profitable. Otherwise, individuals won't do it, um, and and that includes a monetary reward. Um, it's it's not limited to that, right? So for sure, I you know just the positive feedback and the the encouragement and uh, all of that that you get from others is is nice. Um, Further, and actually most importantly, this is the reason uh, or how I always chose which projects to work on. Uh, and that is that it's it ought to be a tool that I use personally for myself, something that I really want to have and something that I see problems with and where I know exactly how to make it better. Um, and this, like to scratch my own itch, basically, the free software ethos. Uh, this is what, what I applied in my decision-making process of what to work on. Uh, because then even if you don't get any monetary reward, even if you don't get any outside positive feedback from others, uh, because you have still built that tool that you are using yourself uh, and that you are making as good as possible for yourself as an individual, that then has already been a profitable choice. Um, so so this was one of my fundamental guidelines uh, on choosing what to work on. Mm -hmm. And then, and so people, like when you advertise you're not advertise that when you post that then people can decide if they think that's a worthwhile thing to be worked on by you and they can support you that way right so i mean it's it, it's a bit difficult to do that type of work that i do to um to pr make it a profitable venture because fundamentally education to a big extent is about sharing knowledge mm -hmm. right uh, and I'm a free software enthusiast based on first principles, right? Information is not scarce. Uh, there is no potential rivalry of who can control and use and enjoy the benefits of information. No, it can be copied, it can be shared, it longs to be free, uh, and, and uh, it, it will be gossiped uh, by others and built upon by others. And I want to use this to the greatest extent. So, so all of my, or most of my work is published under free licenses of MIT or uh, Creative Commons. And this means that I can't really, you know, uh, sell information per se, uh, because it is non-scarce. Uh, there's, there's no need to resource allocate. Um, however, for me, what I found more interesting was that uh, I could basically sell my time, my labor, uh, right. my attention, uh, my skill, uh, and that both uh, to individuals uh, who would like to receive, for example, tailor-made uh, education, right? So you you realize that Bitcoin is a crazy rabbit hole, <laughs> like completely insane, um, <laughs> and you could go in a hundred different possible directions. Um, but that service of curation, basically, of, of having gone through it and knowing uh, what to look out for and interesting paths to go down, um, and to be there to answer questions right, and to create tailor-made content based on that individual who has a specific question. Um, this is a scarce resource, uh, my time, my attention, my skills, uh, that I can apply on that marketplace and actually exchange uh, for precious Bitcoin. Um, so, so that part of, uh, let's say, consulting uh, on, on both you know, Bitcoin uh, basic ideas or, or more uh, advanced concepts, uh, or you know, praxeological studies and, and entrepreneurial strategies, for example, uh, th th these are some of my strengths that I can you know share my uh, my, my skill uh, with others in exchange. Mm -hmm. 
Um, when we spoke in, in May, Max, the, the crisis was underway, but you know, we're, we're several months, uh, the clock wound forward at this point. Um, how has this just kind of shaped or influenced your, your thinking over the last few months, if at all? Um, fundamentally, not much, uh, because I've had a, a rather solid stance throughout this entire uh, ordeal based on the first principles that I've carefully chosen uh, and very rigorously defined. Uh, and, and these principles of individuality, first and foremost, um, did, did not get shaken during this. Uh, individuals are, are free creatures uh, who have the power to uh, define what is theirs and to claim their own property uh, and the power to execute that claim and to defend it. Uh, and there are attackers who try to break the property of other individuals, uh, trying to appropriate resources by theft instead of voluntary and consensual action. Uh, and this is a dichotomy that is uh, well inherent to human action. Both, both acts uh, are possible. The economic means of voluntary interaction, mutual beneficial gain, and the political means of coercive action and zero-sum uh, games with one loser, winner and one loser. Um, these are all possible, and, and thus individuals do it. <laughs> so there's there's nothing new. Now just the, the looter and, and the aggressor uh, uses the excuse of a virus um, to dictate in, uh, what individuals are ought to do with their property uh, and to punish them if they dare to defy him uh, and to use what's rightfully theirs in a different way than he sees fit. Um, this is nothing new. Uh, this time it manifests of course with freedom of travel so individuals are strongly restricted where they can move um it uh, that goes as far as house arrests right how many people have been imprisoned by their state tyranny uh during this lockdown uh for for some bogus reasons um which even the reasons are fundamentally flawed mm -hmm. yeah so i guess that leads in and, and i i want to i got lot i've always got lots to talk to you about but i want to make sure we cover you know, one of the, the reasons we're speaking today and, you know, what you just said kind of leads into the upcoming um, Hackers co uh, Congress, right? And so uh, I, maybe for people that aren't familiar with this upcoming event, you could uh, inform everybody what it's about and some of the details. Yeah, so the Hackers Congress is now in this in its seventh year. Uh, so this all started in 2014 uh, and it's a, a prime event in Prague, a beautiful city in the heart of Europe. Uh, and here, a group of individuals got together in 2014 to build the uh, Parallelly Polis, uh, which is a, a like a, a place, a gathering of individuals that is based on an older idea from 1978, uh, where Czechoslovakia was still in uh, tyranny under the Soviet Empire. Uh, and here, the idea of living in a um, parallel society uh, was articulated and refined as a strategy. To still have that front where you send your kids to government-dictated uh, school or where you go to the party meetings uh, during the day, but where at night and hidden in privacy without revealing yourself to, to the bureaucrats, uh, you, you meet in your neighbor's um, living room and you sing and you dance and you make music that is not on the propaganda-allowed list. Uh, and and you live free and you express yourself and you trade and and you do your business uh, and these this aspect of building a parallel society despite being in a tyrannical system um, is what the parallel polis uh, concept and strategy is about and this is why i think that it is so compelling in today's age uh, because as we see the digital totality uh, which is the theme of this year's hackers congress um, is precisely uh, tyrannizing 
every single individual uh, on this globe right now. And we have to use tools of defense uh, and, and weapons to, to stop this and to protect what is rightfully ours. And so the Congress is going to be a multiple day event on the weekend, right? I think Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Is that right? Precisely. October yeah. the 2nd till 4th. And um, it's just a slew of uh, talks, workshops, interviews with, you know, people in all related fields of privacy, of sovereignty, of uh, cryptography, Bitcoin, uh, you know, I know the seasteaders are, are talking. So give me a little bit of an idea of like what what kind of people are going to be or what for, for attendees, what kind of benefit to be derived from it from uh, in attending the Congress, the, the conference. You know, I, I think you actually summed it up uh, perfectly because the Hackers Congress is not a Bitcoin Congress. Right? Uh, it's a, a crypto anarchy Congress. It's a technology Congress. It's a hackers Congress, literally. Um, and this is for individuals who understand that there is a problem, who see that there is something very, very wrong going on. And for these individuals who seek tools and weapons uh, to fix these problems, uh, to, to make it right again, uh, and uh, to opt out to enter a parallel society of freedom coordination, uh, where it, these aggressive tactics of the state uh, are no longer uh, embraced and utilized. Um, so this is, for me, the, the, like the reason why I love crypto anarchy so much is because it is a, a liberation strategy that actually works today, right now. Like we can use these cutting edge technologies of cyberspace, encryption, uh, com secure communication, um, obviously Bitcoin. Uh, we can use these technologies today uh, so to live a very substantially more free life than with other strategies. Uh, and the Hackers Congress specifically is tailor-made uh, for this knowledge to be understood uh, and to be applied. Uh, for example, one of the prime parts is a two-day uh, workshop, an applied workshop for the sovereign individual. Uh, where there's a, a tailor-made curated content that builds layers of defense uh, for around individual uh, property uh, on basically an entire cyberspace. Uh, so to secure against this digital totality and this applied knowledge, I think is extremely valuable. Mm. Um, Max, what, what's, yeah, and I, I love the idea behind the Congress. Um, you know, uh, I think it's great to, gain access to an education around these resources that, as you said, kind of help you establish more sovereignty in your life because, you know, that's the name of the game in the end. And there's probably a lot of uh, tools and philosophies and, uh, you know, other things that, that people might benefit from using, but just maybe they're not aware of, or maybe there's a learning curve that they've yet to tackle. And, and I think conferences like this are a great way of shedding light on those and starting people on the path toward integrating some of those solutions into their lives. Uh, just to clarify, it's, it's a in-person and a digital conference, right? Is that correct? Yes, exactly. It's a hybrid of meet space and cyberspace. Inherently, the Congress was always in person in, in meet space in Prague, in the uh, Parlanipolis Black Building. Uh, in the heart of the city. It's a beautiful place, by the way. If you're ever in Prague, come over. It's it's fantastic. I love it. Uh, and there was the huge Congress that housed, in the last year, I think, 500 or 600 people. Uh, so it's a pretty big event. 
Though, of course, this year, uh, the tyrants are uh, going extreme, extremely crazy, uh, more than usual, <laughs> which is not that uncommon, unfortunately. <laughs> so, and, and they restrict uh, individual travel. Uh, and naturally, individuals adapt and find solutions to this tyranny. Uh, and that is uh, events in cyberspace. We've seen over these last couple of months, uh, basically, the, these, the, these gatherings of individuals cannot be sh shut down, uh, even though governments would love it to happen. Um, uh, but we route around these problems and so build the Hackers Congress. So yeah. the entire three stages uh, that are during the 2nd till 4th October will be live streamed on Hopin, uh, which is a conferencing platform that funnily the value of Bitcoin conference used where we last spoke. Uh, and and that's uh, I, th I think it was quite a useful platform uh, that allows both the, the video access of, of speakers and participants uh, as well as nice chat groups uh, and other networking features. Uh, so, so it's an interesting platform um, and, and they will use it for the main event, which is uh, three stages of fantastic talks, including the two-day applied workshop for the sovereign individual. Uh, and, and tickets for this can be gotten at hcpp.zz, uh, which is the website of the Hackers Congress at Paralelnipolis. Nice. Um... Are you going to be there in person or are you doing a digital presence? I, I, I love the Hackers Congress in Prague and Nepal is way too much to not be here in person. Uh, so so I will uh, be, be in Prague uh, and, and go all crazy around because seriously, this is uh, one of, if not the most valuable uh, events that I was the last couple of years. Uh, and therefore, I am very much involved in, in well, both organizing and attending it. Yeah. Man, I was in Prague uh, in 2018 in August, I think. I, I wish I'd known about those guys then. I would have stopped by and had a poke around for sure. Um, oh, you would have loved the place. It's Or you you will love the place. Absolutely <laughs> come by anytime. Uh, Max, what? You know, I think a lot of us, especially this year, I mean, I think you have always just based on your philosophies have probably been a little bit ahead of the curve in this respect. But, you know, many of us in the Bitcoin space, I, I say this somewhat jokingly, but, but uh, you know, only somewhat, I'm serious about it too. And that we kind of, you know, you stack sats, you hang out on Twitter and you, you know, you, you're part of the, uh, you know, you're part of the fun and games that happen there, but, and you're kind of just waiting for the world to change. Um, and, and, you know, maybe for the world to melt, depending on what your perspective is. But I feel like this year with the, with the virus and everything, it kind of sobered everybody up a little bit to say like, Wow, this you know this could happen sooner than expected, and it could be more disruptive than I may have you know uh, given credit for. So, you know, I, I should probably start looking into all of these things related to how to establish and maintain, you know, a degree of, um, if not full, uh, you know, privacy and independence and sovereignty and and all of these things because it looks like we're heading into an era where there's going to be even more, um, you know, aggressive attempts at uh, at overcoming those things, at, at taking those things from us. So, you know, from, from your perspective and your experience, what's been some of the tools or, and, you know, this goes from software to, you know, tools in the real world or whatever, have you used to help you establish uh, the level and type of sovereignty and freedom that, that you desire? You know, as, as you said with that example, if, if you're just, quote-unquote, just stacking sats right, and, and just hoping that the world will change, um, I think that already that aspect is one of the most powerful weapons that individuals can utilize. 
literally to stack sense uh, that is the easiest and probably has one of the most important impacts. And the impact that it has is that it withdraws capital from the fiat empire. Um, there is less capital being held in the fiat shitcoin. And that has multiple important uh, outcomes. Um, mainly, there is less capital for the looters to steal. Every single shitcoin that you hold um, is a tool that the looters have to steal capital from you via um, increase of the money supply and the Cantillon effect that follows from this. Uh, so every second that you hold fiat shitcoin, and even worse, when you demand to be paid in the fiat shitcoin and hold that revenue in the fiat shitcoin, um, that is capital that the looters can steal and that they can use to fund this war machine that is going on. Uh, in 1913, with the creation of the Federal Reserves uh, all, all across uh, the globe, basically, um, the, they were used to fund the war machine of the First and Second World War and the Cold War uh, that followed uh, and the war that is still going on. Um, so the, the more capital the fiat empire has available, um, the, the worse. Uh, and just the simple fact of demanding to be paid in Bitcoin and holding your wealth in Bitcoin depreciates the capital stock of our enemy. And it increases the capital stock of productive individuals uh, who can now use this capital in a sound monetary economy. Right. Um, so, quote unquote, just stacking sats is one of the most powerful weapons that individuals can use to withdraw their consent from the fiat empire and actively work on decreasing uh, the, the amount of power that it has. Totally agree. Totally agree. But I'm still curious for those people that, you know, that's all they're already doing that what you know, and, and they want to try to shore up other areas and again, establish more privacy and freedom. What are some of your kind of go to favorite tools for doing so? Um, I will have to say that the cubes operating system might have been that piece of software that has has impacted me to a very, very large extent other than Bitcoin. Um, it is a beautiful operating system that is reasonably secure, uh, as the uh, slogan goes, and it relies on hyper-compartmentalization. Um, so instead of running one operating system and, and one computer on your hardware, uh, you run a virtual virtual machine network, basically, of multiple virtual machines with each their unique operating system and file types and so on, um, running in parallel and talking to each other in smart ways. And this has two major benefits. Uh, the main is security, meaning if you have a dedicated virtual machine uh, to browse the internet and, and open random files, and that virtual machine is a different one to compare to the one where you have your password manager or the one where you store your emails, for example, uh, then if you ever download a, a malicious PDF, uh, it is the, the, the bad fuck up is in that vir one virtual machine where it happened and it does not spill over to other virtual machines. Um, and that is just a huge security benefit. Um, uh, Cubes really is, is monumental in that work. Still a lot of potential. Uh, but where I like it even more is the productivity hack. Because one of the side effects uh, that is one of the major features of Cubes is with this high compartmentalization, um, you can really set up your life in a modular way. So, so for example, for me right now, I'm talking to you through a disposable virtual machine uh, that runs specifically the Chromium, um, uh, like uh, the Chromium browser, which is best used for these Zoom or Jitsi interviews, uh, and it it still routes everything through Tor. 
so everything is routed through Tor, which is a, a very nice fact uh, with the Unix uh, virtual machine infrastructure. Um, but fundamentally right now, the virtual machine where I run my Twitter, uh, this is the only place where I can access my Twitter uh, credentials. Uh, this virtual machine right now is turned off. Same with the virtual machine uh, that is my signal or uh, my password manager or my email client. All of these independent virtual machines are now shut down, meaning that my laptop right now at this point is only usable for this call. And I'm not being disturbed and I can fully focus on this conversation. Uh, and, and that really is a huge productivity hack when it's very difficult for you to browse the Twitter feed. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that is a very useful productivity hack. Um, Max, what, there's a lot, you know, of course, election happening November. Um, the, the world is uh, going crazy about that at the moment, or at least many people are kicking up a fuss about it. And, uh, you know, this is kind of a, somewhat unrelated to our conversation, but I, I hear the word anarchy thrown around a lot lately. And it's always one of those words that I don't understand it very well, but I know that it's, it's used in the wrong way in most mainstream uses of it. Um, you know, your website Towards Liberty is a great resource for, uh, well, other resources that have shaped your thinking and also some of your, your thoughts on things. So, I, you know, I definitely direct people to it. But what, you know, I, 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 I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that this is one of your, uh, one aspect of your underlying philosophy. Could you kind of explain it a little bit to myself, like to me and people listening who may not have a great understanding of it? The, the, the concept of anarchy specifically? Yeah. Or uh, well, well, anarchy comes from the Greek, and it has the, the prefix an, meaning without, uh, or in the absence of, and the suffix archon, meaning ruler or master. Um, so this is, a, this is a, a concept where there are no external rulers, no external masters over the individual, where the individual is the king of the kingdom of self. Uh, and this is uh, a, a, f a fundamental concept um, that, that results on the philosophy of individuality. Uh, so, th so the first principle uh, of, of anarchy is individuality. Individuals exist and they act and uh, they allocate scarce resources throughout time uh, and, and uh, allocate them according to their own value judgments and individual preferences. Uh, and they are free in the sense that there is no other uh, imposing over them on how they can allocate their time, their attention, their capital, their money, um, all of these resources. Uh, and in, in that aspect, they are free. Uh, that is a state of anarchy, a state of voluntary interaction, where individuals do not aggress against their private property, uh, but rather uh, respect that and, uh, and, and build contracts based on voluntary consent and agreement. Right. Um... And this, you know, I'm sure you've read The Sovereign Individual, the book, and, and it kind of describes history as almost being, uh, you know, relegated to the technological dynamics around violence that, you know, any given period is subject to. And, um, you know, with a concept like anarchy, do you engage so passionately in, you know, Bitcoin and related technologies to foster and... Uh, you know, establish freedom because you feel like we may be able to establish um, somewhat of an anarchic uh, organization of, of humans at this stage because of the, the technological tools we now have? Or, um, 
Yeah. I mean, looking at kind of political dynamics, I know, of course, the existing paradigm is, you know, just a complete shit show. But look, moving forward into the future, do you see us establishing, you know, uh, sovereignties with that principle underlying them? Well, I, I do think that that individuality is the the underlying default assumption. Um, at, at least I think it's a very reasonable assumption to make that individual exists, that individuals act. Uh, I I think that this that this is useful uh, mm. to to have as a starting point. Um, and and if you do, then the concepts of of anarchy, of individual freedom, of property rights, uh, of voluntary interaction and and theft, and of, of beautiful economic models all follow logically, right? So, so if there's a general agreement that individuals exist, uh, that that is a useful uh, thing, then basically everything else follows logically and it is irrefutably provable. Uh, and, and this is where praxeology comes in, the science of human action, the science of individuals manifesting themselves in this world. Uh, and, and we can absolutely draw conclusions uh, and, and scientific statements um, building on top of this one assumptions that individuals act. Uh, and there are many very, very valuable uh, insights to be gained and uh, useful, uh, of course, too. It's not just theory. Um, if, for me, because the theory is so solid, so sound, so true, I can apply it in my everyday life. Uh, in fact, after or once more gaining understanding of this uh, theory, I can tweak my, my action and align my action to be more uh, in, in frequency with, with this theory. And so far, this has been quite a prosperous approach uh, in in what uh, well in what to do and and the feedback and result of my action. And so, do you do you have any? Uh, I want to be careful how I word this, but you kind of like social organization um, ambitions, or is it? Do you see a world where you know, kind of everybody? Uh, follows a similar philosophy as you just espouse and, and uses the tools available to, to establish uh, them and something organic emerges as a result. Basically what I'm trying to get at, I know it's a convoluted way of getting to it, but you know, I think a lot of us see the turmoil in, in the world today and see that it's, there's a shift underway and you know, maybe Bitcoin is at the center of that. Um, I'm kind of wondering what you think can or will follow that in terms of how we choose to interact and, and, and if there's any formal organization around that. Yeah, so um, a, a couple of things here. I mean, again, I'm, I'm an individualist, meaning that I start first and foremost my, my analysis of, from the individual uh, mm -hmm. as a starting point. Uh, and this, this includes the individual in isolation. Right, uh, Robinson on, on a lonely island without any individual around. He still exists, he still acts, he still allocates his time and his attention and his natural resources that he has. Um, and he uses these. So the theory is sound even for the isolated individual, but the theory is also sound for uh, the um, interactive individual, for multiple individuals acting together and in accordance and who are embracing that feedback loop of, of action and reaction. Um, and this is, of course, very important to to consider as well in in the analysis, uh, because our and and one of the end results that we see of free individuals interaction is mutual beneficial exchange, meaning that um, the individuals both estimate that they will be more happy after the action than they were before, 
right? That's when they do the trade, when it is mutual beneficial, then when it is uh, a voluntary trade. Um, and this this aspect already is is um, quite useful because it shows that we're actually creating value and we are building something. There was something here that there wasn't before. We have manifested something new, something delightful, something productive, uh, and and um, uh, that is that is beautiful uh, for me at least. Uh, so. Although I start with the individual, that aspect of division of labor and all the benefits that that individuals gain from it are, of course, fundamentally important. Mm -hmm. And do you think that will always have to be something that's and for, you know just to be clear, I agree. I'm I'm pressing because I'm I'm wondering, you know, in a world where more and more people feel this way, but in a world where there's also, you know. Uh, extremely large forces that would seek to undermine that will we always have to be kind of uh, doing what we can to preserve our right and ability to act in that way or you know is it possible that those, those things that might seek to oppress people who act in that way may dissolve away when you know after some sort of event like their you know let's say their power the that from that thing from which they derive their power is dissolved or is no longer useful or I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not articulating this well, but I like, I, I really respect that philosophy and I agree with it in, in many ways. I'm just wondering if, I guess if it's ever like a going to be something that we see kind of across the world, or if it will always be these kind of pockets of people that have are determined to, to preserve, you know, their ability or freedom to act this way or to live in a certain way? Well, I think it's a question of whether we are going to ever reach mass adoption, quote unquote. Right. right? And I think that's an interesting question, both for, for freedom as uh, and individuality as a first principle, but also, of course, for Bitcoin as a strategy and the tool to use and to defend those principles. Um, so I, I think on two, th uh, on two fronts here, um, I, I see just based on historical analysis and current sentiment that these aspects of individual freedom are only treasured by a subset of, of, of humans, um, or at least treasured to an extent that these individuals are willing to pay uh, for it, that they are willing to invest their time and attention to actually defend themselves. And I think that is not as common um, in, in the general uh, sentiment. And that is, of course, a, sh a shame because it reduces the division of labor that we can benefit from in a free society um, as more and more uh, people just obey uh, the state uh, and, you know, decrease that capital out of the productive sector and into the hands of tyranny. Um, so this is a this is a huge shame. So we we ought to increase the amount of people who value individual freedom as a core principle in general. Right? That is the power of ideas, basically, to do that convincing work uh, and also for them to act free and to live free. Um, but for me, both for, for freedom strategies and for Bitcoin specifically, I kind of gave up on mass adoption and it's not a priority of mine. It's not something that I think is a meaningful metric for my success uh, on, on multiple reasons, because first, I don't control it. Um, like I not, I cannot make other people make a decision. They need to do that themselves. So if that is the metric for my success, then my success is wholly dependent on others. Uh, and I think that's not a healthy metric then. Um, and 
and and further although there are some benefits of course when more individuals join the group you know in the sense of privacy the anonymity set increases the crowd increases the people who use this technology increases and that in general will give me a um, better defense of my property uh, because it is just more of the norm it will be a bit more difficult i think to steal from everyone at, at a large scale um, and as well, of course, because Bitcoin is a monetary good, as the demand for it increases, as more and more people demand to be paid in Bitcoin, um, this means that the the value of it increases as well, or, or rather the the value of the the purchasing power uh, that a certain amount of Bitcoin holds. Right? What can you exchange it for? Um, so these are all benefits that I have uh, from mass adoption. Uh, but fundamentally, again, my principle or my, my end goal is to defend myself. Uh, and this is where I see the, the, the metric for my strategy. So if I can defend my own capital from the looters, and with Bitcoin, I can to a very, very successful degree, um, then I think it's a success. So for me, Bitcoin is a huge success because it is a, a phenomenal tool uh, that I can use to do, uh, protect myself. Um, and even though not everyone on the planet uses it, um, I don't care. I can use it and I can carry the full benefits of it. Mm -hmm. So is it, I mean, would it be fair to say, because I'm trying to dig at, um, and you, you did answer the question, so I, I don't want to uh, suggest that, that you didn't, but I'm kind of getting at like, when we, you know, a lot of us in this space, well, everyone works hard, or a lot of people work hard at life, right? And oftentimes there's something pulling us forward, right? Call it ambition, call it a goal, call it, you know, a, an image in your mind of what the future could be, whatever. And, you know, that's part of the reason why you get up in the morning and put so much energy into something. For you, like, what is it that, that pulls you forward? Is it just the kind of further establishment of individual sovereignty and freedom? Like you just want to keep uh, not only upholding that, but refining it and, and optimizing and maximizing it? Is that, you know, is that that thing that draws forth your energy or is there, is there something else? I think that's the starting point from where I draw my energy, um, but it's not the exclusive point. Um, so, you know, I, I'm i an economist, I'm a proxiologist, uh, and I, I think I understand economics and, and business cycle and capital allocation theory uh, to a decent extent. And that's quite sad, actually, because I understand the fundamental fuck up that the last hundred years of fiat empire were. I mean, the amount of malinvestment and overconsumption that such a drastic increase of money supply and the, the following Cantillon effects and, and the, the squeezing and realigning of the production stages, what that does, the amount of capital that is destroyed is devastating. It's mm -hmm. absolutely devastating. Um, so, so for me, this is probably... <laughs> Like, that's the thing, even if I, if even right now in my state, right, I, I only earn Bitcoin, I only hold Bitcoin, uh, and I spend Bitcoin in most places. Um, I'm, I'm defending myself to a huge degree, but still I'm suffering the consequences of 100 years of fiat regime that led to malinvestment and overconsumption and all the capital that was destroyed in that effort. And I'm still suffering from that, right? Because right now we don't yet have spaceships and all the other unseen uh, that we could have, as Bastiat would say. Um, and this th this is something where I'm still suffering a lot. Uh, and therefore, it, it, I really, really want to fix that. I want to provide entrepreneurs with the tools so that they can make meaningful value judgments again, so that they can be productive in their resource allocation and that they can have some support in the question of where should I allocate my time? What is the most important thing that I could do right now? Um, that question, sound money solves that question. Uh, it's a tool to answer this question more easily and more precisely. 
Um, and, and this is why it's so important for me because I see the huge, the fucking gigantic, like unbelievably huge benefit that, uh, and, and capital and wealth that we can create when entrepreneurs are based on a sound monetary, a monetary asset that they can use in this resource allocation. This is just such a monumental improvement to the current shitty situation um, that it, it like that potential outcome in the case that we succeed in that minor, minor chance. Um, that is such a huge positive outcome that it is worth for me to invest my time, my attention and my money uh, to, to build it further and to promote it further and uh, to make uh, Bitcoin thrive in that environment. Well said. You know, I, I, I've noticed amongst a lot of Bitcoiners and myself included that kind of the further you go down the rabbit hole, or maybe it's just a, a, fact, a, a matter of how much time you spend in the in the in this space i'm not not exactly sure but life you tend to simplify your life or a lot of people do uh you, they, they tend to eliminate a lot of you know the noise of their life whether that's material possessions or relationships that don't serve them or you know changing occupations or whatever you know you kind of distill your life down to the simple and the good um, and not just because not out of a matter of discipline or not even just because you want to stack as many sats as possible, but because, you know, the, the, that simplicity or the, the kind of the truth of engaging in only those things that, that you believe are genuine and, and good. And I know those are very kind of vague definitions, but that seems to be fulfilling enough for myself and a lot of the people that I've been talking with lately and, and what you were just articulating I fully agree. You know, it's, it's an absolute tragedy how much capital has been destroyed by this system. And, you know, let's not forget, you destroy capital, you're destroying human time. You know, you're destroying human life effectively by destroying capital. And, um, but the, as you said, you know, we should have spaceships right now. And if so much capital wasn't destroyed, you know, we could have this presumably a, a far, you know, maybe more modern or maybe more, uh, uh, complex or more novelty in the world or in the universe, et cetera. But I'm just wondering, and I'm not, and obviously I'm for that, but I'm just wondering what, how you square the two in your mind of kind of wanting this abundant complex future and to whatever degree your life has kind of been distilled down toward valuing, you know, quote unquote, the simple life uh, more than other things. Yeah, I think here I had a tendency already before discovering Bitcoin of uh, not consuming too much. I think I was showing quite a, a low time preference compared um, with with just having a high savings rate uh, and uh, a low consumption rate, uh, basically, uh, and investing at an early stage and so on. Um, and this um, this is for sure something uh, I, I think extremely important. Right, because it's that aspect of building something rather than consuming it, uh, rather than letting someone else build it. Uh, you you fix the problem yourself, uh, and you know the aspect as you said, accumulating capital means saving time, because more capital means more resources, better tools that you can use to achieve the same ends, um, uh, and even better ends. Right, you can achieve something much much more uh, when you have more capital at your disposal. Right? It's, it's, uh, if, if you put just one hour of work in, it's going to be a different than if you put 10 hours in. But you can achieve more in that more time if you have more capital available. Um, and yeah, there, there's, 
like you know, as as Rudy Pastian says in the scene and the unseen. Um, I mean, sure, we we have a decent society right now, and um, everything is kind of somewhat working, but we don't even know what we're missing, right? There's mm-hmm. there's so much potential um, that was that was just closed, that was shut off, that was never manifested, just by the huge amount of theft that was going on and, and that um, malinvestment and overconsumption that follows. Mm, I agree, Max. And I'm, you know, I know a lot of these questions are somewhat deep, but you know, that's just the way yeah, it is. You, 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 you bring that's, them that's great. out. <laughs> uh, Finally, a good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Does um, do you have you know? Because and I'm asking this question because I looked on your website and I under the natural law section, you know, there's a section on hermeticism, Gnosticism, uh, Rosicrucianism, and stuff. And I'm just I've been interested in. Um, you know, the, the God question, I guess my whole life actually, but it's, it's, it's coming up in Bitcoin uh, a lot lately because, you know, people notice how much uh, being involved in Bitcoin tends to influence the behavior of some people, of course, not everybody. And, uh, you know, kind of the zealotry associated with it. And it's just, you know, just how passionately people engage and support uh, and believe in it. And um, a lot of the, you know, to whatever degree, the characteristics of Bitcoin imbue certain uh, behaviors or inspire certain behavior in people is an interesting question. I'm just wondering from your perspective, you know, I'm, I'm, I really appreciate and am interested in how articulate and detailed uh, your philosophies are and how you frame them and explain them. And, you know, from all appearances tend to live by them. And, you know, I'm just curious, if, is there an underlying, I hate the words, you know, spirituality or, or uh, you know, supernatural guiding principle you know something beyond just logic is there anything um that you know that you use to to guide your life at all beyond uh logic and philosophy i yes absolutely um and this is this is like something that was very important for me to to work on and and to try to discover um because there are well first of all i know nothing (laughs) <laughs> uh, th- th- so there's there's so much uncertainty there's so many open questions um that's why I'm, I'm always striving to accumulate more knowledge and to further refine my understanding of it um and and that is such a such a huge passion of mine um but you know to, to explain this is in a similar context as before i said that individuality is my assumption right it is something that i cannot logically and reasonably explain and prove how do i prove to myself that i exist Right. That's a very difficult question, actually. And you're going to be in logical fallacies and circular logic very, very quickly. Mm. Um, so for me, this is something that I actually assume I cannot prove that I exist. Um, and, and I realize that and I take this as my one assumption. Um, and on top of this one assumption, I can build a logical um, um, system on top. Right. So because I imp- because I exist, uh, I act. And that means allocating scarce resources and there's the potential of conflict, and there are property rights, and so on. All of this I can deduce logically from this one um, axiom. Same as, for example, in geometry, there's an axiom that two parallel lines never meet. You cannot prove that statement. It's it's like, try, good luck. Um, But based on this assumption, you can build a logical, consistent model on top, right? Um, And and this is how mathematics works. Uh, And I, I apply that same thing. So again, I assume individuality and I build logically on top. And for me, what I build logically on top has 
I, I, I mean, the, the definition of words is a bit tricky, but I think it has little to do with individual, uh, with, um, uh, you know, religion or spirituality, uh, because again, it is logical. But for me, where that aspect of spirituality or curiosity comes in is that aspect of where comes the assumption, right? Um, who actually manifests that individual? Uh, what is underneath that? What is behind that, right? This, this is the, the more, let's say, esoteric question, the more occulted question. Uh, that is so interesting to ask, uh, and that that leads you down extremely many beautiful rabbit holes. Could you go down some of them for me? Um, well, you know, there there's there's one aspect that the the individual himself is is the creator, right? Is uh, the the observer. Um, you you exist and you observe yourself. Right? And, and you realize that you are an individual existing and that this is one point of consciousness. Um, you know, every man and every woman is a star, as the Lemonites would say. Um, this, this aspect that this existence is observable uh, and, um, and, and measurable to some extent um, basically means that the individual is, is the creator himself, God himself, the, the architect himself, right? Uh, the, the fact that we speak uh, that we that we literally sing um, a, a manifestation into existence, um, just as for example, you know, in, in Tolkien's uh, um, spiritual philosophy, uh, the, the world was also sung, right? And and humans speak, uh, humans act, humans create uh, that creative aspect of creating um, something delightful, of of um, manifesting value. Um, that that for me is is a very uh, like godly aspect, um, and that that. Uh, specifically that archetype of the entrepreneur to allocate resources productively uh, so to create a lot of value right that is so heroic that is so um like deeply uh, well I'm, I'm struggling to find the right word because it's not spiritual but it's um it's it, it's something extremely special that goes further than than um some some basic lore needs fundamental maybe or yeah the creation of, of wealth. Yes, exactly. And, and not just the creation, but also the creation of the universe. Right. right. So, so, so that, that entire aspect, you know, is above, so below. And if you create value on, on a small scale, right. By, by uh, building a strong family, uh, by building a, a healthy and productive business uh, and, and by being, you know, a, a positive uh, partner and so on, all of these small value creations uh, are are tantamount and in parallel and in sync with that creation of the universe itself. Mm, all acts of creation. Yes. Yeah. In a sense, um, you know, and that then also leads uh, leads you down that uh, that uh, karma basically, uh, because there are always consequences to actions. Right? Action is change. Uh, so there is a, a change in the situation before and after the action, um, and the you can. Before you make the act, you can make a judgment of how you think, how you estimate how your action is going to pay, uh, pay out. But you don't know, right? The future is uncertain. And uh, after you have done the action, after you did that courageous step into the darkness, right? Venturing out into the void, um, you, you can look back and you can reflect if your action was actually um, leading you to a state of less uneasiness, of less suffering, uh, of, of more delight and happiness. And... If if yes, then you were productive. Uh, but if if no, if your if your action was a mistake, um, then you will realize that too. 
So that that aspect of karma, um, basically of, of uh, cause and effect, uh, and and that inevitable law that that follows here, that every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Um, this is this is um, you know quite an interesting, more spiritual uh, topic too, uh, that I think is very well reasonable. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And so, I mean, obviously, to be able to draw from all of these different, call them religions, schools of thoughts, philosophies, whatever. Uh, I imagine you spent some time, you know, consulting them. And, you know, I find it a very interesting thing to do as well. Have, has, has something unique coalesced by, by uh, you know, spending your life up to this point, contemplating, or first of all, taking in all those different perspectives and all that wisdom from, you know, whatever different source it may have come from. And then, you know, digesting it yourself and coming up with something that orients your life has something unique been born there or has have you drawn on on you know one thing more than another or do you know what i'm trying to say yeah i yeah yes for sure and there's there is such a, a huge base of, of different theories and and philosophies and schools of thought that i pull from um that it's it's very difficult to put a label on it <laughs> sure. um, because it's, I mean, I, I do focus a lot on praxeology. Um, that, that really is like my, my key uh, methodological approach. Uh, maybe too much in some extent. I, th I think it can limit me in, in some aspects uh, to always have that certain view um, and, and, uh, and approach. But that is for sure one of, the, one of the focuses. And individuality, of course, in general. Um, though where I am... Let's say where over the last couple of years I found the most uh, success or the most um, new insights was in in that aspect of finding actual liberation strategies that work today. Um, so not just to philosophize and to talk about the theories, um, which is something that I love doing. <laughs> As you can tell, I can blabber on for hours. Oh, please, <laughs> please do, man. I love it too. <laughs> Oh, thanks. But, you know, I, I also like to do it uh, and to actually have results. Mm -hmm. um, and this is something where recently, you know, specifically cypherpunk strategies, uh, crypto anarchist philosophy as, as an applied philosophy um, uh, are, are really, really valuable. Uh, and, you know, th these are probably more well known. But one of the areas that is not so well known, but that was so monumental uh, to my current understanding and to my current strategy, that is Vonu. Voluntary, not vulnerable, uh, which is highly recommended to look into. Um, this is something that in like the 1950s or 60s, um, a pseudonymous identity uh, published under this name uh, a bunch of writings and newsletters and publications uh, and, and discussions and books um, in that realm of a freedom strategy that is very well defined that has achievable metrics to it uh, and that is based on first solid principles and that actually works. And that is this aspect of being voluntary, not vulnerable. So to increase the mean time of harassment, as Rayo, the pseudonymous identity, puts it. So the mean time to harassment is basically how long until you meet the cops, again, uh, the balajis, as he calls them. So if, if you meet a balaji on Wednesday and then you meet the next one on, on Saturday, then you had, what, four days mean time till harassment. And so your goal as a sovereign individual is to increase that time, that mean time to harassment, right? A year is better than four years, uh, than four days. 
um, or you know, five years of not having interactions with bureaucrats is beautiful, right? That's fantastic. Um, and the specific strategies that Rayo uses here in this principle um, are self-sufficiency uh, for one, right? So he makes the general observation that the, the majority of, of people are, are basically idiots and sheep uh, who don't care about their freedom and who are just going to put you in, in more danger to be stolen from. Um, and that therefore, in general, it is advised to become more self-sufficient, right? To, to produce your own food, um, to, to know, like to build your own shelter. Uh, and uh, all of these aspects, you know, are, are important to be more sufficient, more sovereign, where you do not rely on outside trusted third parties. Um, and the aspect of mobility uh, was very, very important for him. So uh, that, that you don't just live in one permanent house all the time, where you're easily attributed to, but th that you live a, a rather nomadic lifestyle. And as soon as someone tries to harass you, you just leave, right? You pack up and, and you vacate the space uh, and you have a very cheap defense against a potential cost. Uh, rather than, than fighting and fist fighting, uh, you just leave uh, the, the place and never come back. Um, and strategies like this uh, towards becoming voluntary, uh, vulnerable uh, to coercion is uh, quite an interesting strategy for me that I've discovered. Yeah, I think that's why, you know, the original question, you know, way back at the beginning of this conversation was, you know, kind of, what are some of the more effective tools you've been using to establish your your sovereignty and your freedom? Because I sometimes wonder, like I, I totally love digging into all sorts of different philosophies and, uh, you know, blank uh, umbrella term religions and, you know, all sorts of mystery schools and stuff. Like I, I just find that interesting. But it, you know, it does beg the question, is any of it relevant if it can't be implemented right if it has no implications in, in in how you may live your life and you know some of them obviously do because some of them don't require you know the the coordination or acquiescence or permission of the outside world but some of them do and and so that's why i'm i'm so uh, interested and why i i like talking to you so much because engaging in the technologies that are now becoming available on, in the world um, a lot of them are, are enabling a lot of those concepts and ideas and, um, you know, perhaps ways of living that a lot of those things we may have read in the past espoused, but which may not have been practical just given the state, you know, the, the both kind of mega political conditions in conjunction with the technological tools available to establish those things. And I think we seem to be rapidly moving toward uh, you know, a, a circumstance where they are becoming available. And, you know, now it's just a matter of us taking the responsibility to actually engage in those things. And yes, it requires discipline and time and, you know, fumbling around and perhaps stepping outside your comfort zone uh, to, to do. But, you know, I'm trying to carve out time to do it more because realizing that that's, that's, like it's all fine and well to think like you're some smart philosopher who likes you know studying you know whatever whatever but if you're not actually going to take the the opportunity to actually establish some of those those things that you deem desirable when they're right in front of you then you're just full of shit right like you've actually got to put in the work to 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 get them and um you know it it seems to me that you're someone who's doing that you know perhaps more than you know, most people that I'm familiar with. 
yeah, it's definitely something that I focus on because again, my my end goal is to be a sovereign individual, right? To defend myself, my property, and my loved ones. Uh, and and for this, I I have to defend myself in general. Uh, and and this requires action. I cannot be inactive. Uh, then I'm just going to be stolen from all the time. Right? Then people will trample on top of me. Uh, so you, you have to make that claim and to stand strong in that claim uh, of what you own. Right? Um, this is your own individual responsibility. Um, and you know maybe to to tie on to one freedom strategy that I have personally found to be extremely successful, and that is nomadism. Uh, or uh, more specifically, van dwelling, right? That that aspect of being mobile um, that is very well explained in Vanu or in Tas and Second Realm uh, strategies, um, or even in Parallel Nepolis uh, strategies, as we talked about earlier. Um, this this has multiple awesome liberation effects. So first and foremost, it uh, decreases your mean time to harassment, right? When your neighbor gets annoyed that you play the music too loud, instead of him calling the cops. Uh, because he's he's annoyed, you just leave and he comes down and nothing happens, right? So you can de-escalate um, that spiral of conflict very early by uh, and very cheaply by simply packing up uh, and leaving. And I think that is a, a, a quite an important and and substantial way to um, well well yeah to, to to not even get into trouble in the first place, right? So this is a nice defense, very cheap. Um, and on the other aspect, when you actually are mobile, then your meat space location becomes a variable, right? If you no longer live in a brick and mortar house, uh, that the same house that you grow up in and that you raise your family in and that you will die in basically, um, then your meat space uh, location is by default just always that same old house in that same old village, right? But if you are actually mobile, then you really have to ask yourself the question of where do you want to wake up tomorrow, right? Uh, because you could go any place. Um, specifically, you know, for example, if, if uh, you just travel by a car or a truck um, in in Europe, you could you could reach whole Europe, um, you know, whole Asia, Russia, all that part. Uh, even drive down to to southern uh, or to Africa if you uh, you know pass the ferry through Spain. Um, so the the area that you could potentially drive through is huge. Same in America. If you have an RV in America, I mean, it's it's such a huge landmass. So many choices, um, so many options. And then the question really becomes, where do you want to wake up in? And also, with what other individuals do you want to interact with? Right? Because again, if you live in that same old village, then you only have these neighbors who've been there for 50 years. Right? So you don't really have a choice on whom to collaborate with, on the, your peers in the division of labor. And just by the aspect of being nomadic, you can choose that meat space location and you can you can come to the people who you find most important to be around, who, who bring you the most delight, the most happiness, the most value, with whom you can grow your capital stock uh, the most, right? Um, and, and you can more fully engage in division of labor uh, and, uh, and outsource things and ask others to solve a problem for you. Um, and, and this is in general quite a, a beautiful, beautiful approach. Um, so that aspect in, in mobility was not just a great defense for my property, but it also increased the standard of my life simply by the fact that I could choose specifically with whom I want to have around me. And if I don't like a person, well, I leave uh, and I no longer in, in engage with them. Yeah. You know, this, and I actually, I, I 
drove an RV around Europe for four months in 2018 in the summer. And so I can relate to a lot of the stuff you, you were just uh, articulating. It's great. Um, but I, I also yearn for a, you know, for a more uh, settled uh, life as well. But what you just said had, and I've been thinking about it lately and, you know, we're, we're in this, sometimes it seems like we're in this big struggle for our own uh, liberation and freedom and sovereignty, right? And I know people that are not so far down the Bitcoin rabbit hole might hear something like that and think, bro, what are you, what are you talking about? You live in the, the freest, most modern time ever. You've got it better than anyone who's ever lived. Like, what are, you, what are you whining about? And I, you know, I can appreciate that argument to a degree, but still there's more freedom on the table and there, there's definitely still oppression in various, uh, you know, in various different forms. And I would like that not to be the case, right? As, as we've been discussing, I'd like to maximize freedom and, and sovereignty and liberation and minimize the things that, that would, that would uh, detract from that. Um, but I, I asked myself, like, what would you do with freedom? Uh, like, I try to answer that question almost as like a philosophical, uh, you know, question to myself to try to refine my, my thinking and try to orient myself uh, the way I, you know, or orient myself properly. And I ask myself that a lot because like we always, whether or not you're in some big struggle or you just, you know, get up and go to a, a job that you don't really like every day and come home and, you know, kind of live that monotonous life that you just found yourself in without too much uh, effort. Um, you know, if you take away the struggle, whatever your struggle might be, if you take away that thing that you kind of feel like you're fighting against, even though, if, you know, it's not always a fight and there's enjoyment and stuff, like, w what would you do with freedom is the question that I keep coming back to. And um, I'm wondering. It's, it's such an important question, right? Yeah. So, so, so what, what would you answer that question with? You know, it, it really is the most important question. What, what do you want? <laughs> what do you actually want to achieve? What if... What is the end goal that you want to reach? Um, how do you want to improve your situation? Right? Um, again, the individual exists in a state of uneasiness. He's suffering. There's something that is not going well. Um, and that aspect of freedom, I think, comes twofold. First, it's to be free in being creative to come up with superior strategies. Right? Um, so you're suffering right now, and a free man can be creative and think of better alternatives. And even that aspect of, of hindering the individual to be that creative, to potentially think of better outcomes, uh, is for me already a tyranny uh, of individual freedom. Uh, and then the second aspect is, after you've made all the, the, the value judgments uh, on, on all these ends, then you ought to be free to use your own property, your own means, the capital at your disposal, so to achieve these ends that you deem most worthy. Right? So, so this is the second aspect, that you can actually use what is rightfully yours. You can apply your property and use it to your, whatever you deem necessary. Um, and for you that, is what you, that is going to bring you to that thing that you think is the most valuable to you. Right? So you're going to apply it to whatever you want most. And for me, that is the freedom. Right? So um, what would you do with freedom is, is really the, the, that fundamental question of what do you want? What do you actually want to achieve? And that is such a difficult question uh, on, on many different layers. And it's, of course, unique to every individual and unique to every individual across each different point in time. Right? What you want today is very different than what, what you want, uh, wanted 20 years ago. 
Um, so so this this is so important. And this is what the entrepreneur does with resource allocation, right? What do you want? What do you want to build? Where do you want to invest your capital? Um, this is the question that a entrepreneur asks himself constantly uh, and, and where the entrepreneur drives to find a meaningful um, a, a judgment uh, and estimation of what he actually wants and then a clear strategy on, on, on how to reach that. And both of these aspects together is what make a free, sovereign individual. Mm. And, may, you know, maybe freedom, because I, and I do think it's very worthwhile to answer that question, because as you just articulated, it has very practical inf- implications for how you direct your time. But maybe on, an, on another, you know, level, freedom um, is just an idea that you kind of will, all, ideal rather, that you can only ever strive for. Right. Because you can make the case, you know, how to in an infinite universe, you know, in an infinite imagination, you will always dream up restrictions of some kind, even if those restrictions are just ones of, uh, uh, you know, adventure. You know, I haven't seen fill in the blank yet. I haven't experienced yet. You know, I, I haven't reached the other side of the galaxy or the universe or whatever yet. So, you know, maybe freedom is just that ideal that like makes the striving continuously worthwhile because there's something inherent about it that is uh that is that like ignites the soul almost you know yes yes i i I totally get you and i really think that that's the case um and and again the individual is suffering right um and there's always something wrong and there's always problems that the individual has and one of the many problems will be theft, right? And that is something that individuals most likely will have to deal with forever uh, because there will always be assholes who want to have the stuff that you have uh, <laughs> and they will try to take it from you. So this aspect that there are, first of all, others stealing from you is always going to be a hindrance. But but it can even be in a voluntary trade. Right? Just that aspect of holding a responsibility uh, is burdensome, right? For example, um, you're like, okay, you, you want to have a family, right? You, you, you want to sustain that life uh, and, and your generations for, for further futures. Um, and, and then, of course, right, you, you take on that, um, or, you, well, you make that happen, right? You have a lot of fun in bed, and eventually <laughs> babies come out. <laughs> and, and then you, you know, have achieved what you wanted, right? You've, you've furthered on that generational blockchain, basically, <laughs> and forked one more time. Uh, and this now in the next aspect though you have to carry the responsibilities of that right actions have consequences uh, and and now this means that there are even though you did these uh, this voluntarily there are still now burdens and restrictions um right it's it's uh, all of a sudden a lot more difficult uh, to go out partying every night uh, when there's a kid at home right so th- these are all uh, trade-offs and and restrictions that it, individuals take on voluntarily right this is atlas um, he, he shoulders the, the burden and the responsibility and the suffering of the world, and he still acts, right? He still stands strong and holds upright. Uh, that is the individual who, who understands that he is in suffering, right? But that despite that, does not give up, but actually shoulders that responsibility, finds a solution to problems, and acts and fixes problems, mm-hmm. right? That is the heroic character. Um, of of Atlas uh, and and the giant who holds the world. Why do you think why do you uh, why do you think that is a heroic character, or, or or even why do you think we do that? Like to to the point about you know children, do we give up 
that degree of freedom that maybe we experienced prior to children uh, f- for joy? Is that the trade freedom for joy or is it, or is it something more, is it something different? No, I think you could call it joy or happiness. Um, again, um, from a praxeological point of view, um, the, it, it's a a priori value judgment, right? So, so you think that in a future situation where you have kids, you're better off than right now where you don't have kids, right? So this is a, a individual value judgment where the outcome of having kids is better than not having the kids. Um, and, and this is, this is fundamentally why it's done. So, so yes, it's done for, to achieve your individual happiness or your pleasure, um, or your, your satisfaction. Uh, and again, this is something that, uh, it cannot be observed or cannot be measured from the outside. Um, this is something that is very subjective, uh, and only to, to the eyes and the mind of the beholder. Right. It's interesting stuff. <laughs> very interesting stuff. Um, you know, because oh, we could blabber on about philosophy uh, uh, probably for hours. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes, especially being in this space, and especially given our place and time, you know, freedom is one of those big central, like, you know, ideas that we're that we're really striving for. But in the context of the example we just discussed, it's like, yeah, no, freedom is definitely one of the top priorities, but not not exclusively, right? Like you're 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 trying to, and this, as you just said, it's different for everybody, but you're trying to balance, you know, freedom with joy, with et cetera, you know, perhaps many different other things and come to whatever synthesis of all those things that you through some, you know, inner process deem the most ideal or beneficial or desirable for yourself, right? Rather than just exclusively maximize this criteria or that, like we're, we're all kind of artists in how we, you know, and how our preferences, preferences, paint the situation that we construct for ourselves in our lives yeah you know absolutely and again it's it's all about individual choice and even individual choice in the face of tyranny right so for example uh, let's go back to the soviet empire uh, where the parallel nepolis idea was born um one of the main reasons for this was artists right so so artists were were completely um like subjugated uh, and they could not do art unless it was approved by the bureaucrats and there was only propaganda um, being published. Um, but now, now you have a huge problem, right? Are you going to express yourself freely and write something that is anti-authoritarian and, and try to publish that? Well, you're going to get thrown in the gulag, right? So, I mean, great, sure, you can publish this and you can get out the message, but the consequences here are that the tyrants are going to kill you, right? Um, so even though you you could live out freely, for that short time of, of publishing the article and manifesting yourself to that fullest potential, because of the attacker, because of that risk model and the coercer and the tyrant in the in the picture, the consequences to such a free choice are going to be drastic, right? And therefore, individuals are, are very likely not going to do such type of action. And mm-hmm. this is where the parallel society comes in, right? All of a sudden, you don't publish uh, your free art under your government-issued identity, but you sing a song uh, that is anti-statist uh, and you perform it under a fake name with a fake mustache somewhere in a dirty pub underneath, right? Um, that aspect of, um, of of opting out and of, of not directly offending um, the, 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 the persons in power uh, just as a, as a strategy to still claim more freedom because fundamentally, even if, you know, if when you shut, when you shut up and don't sing that free song uh, on, on the main square, 
of course you're not free, you're being censored, but still you're more free than if you would be in the gulag. Uh, so it's again a rational choice uh, to to cave in, right, and, and to obey. Right. And, you know, the, the internet is another form of, you know, the parallelini polis, right? I mean, it's where people yeah. can go. It gives people a, a forum where, now, again, I mean, you might call it, I know there's a lot of censorship on the internet, but let's just uh, remove that for a moment. Uh, with the freedom comes a lot of the ugly parts too, right? You know, people with the freedom of being anonymous on, let's say, Twitter, for example, they could be, you know, far more horrible to other people than they would be face-to-face or in their family or social lives, right? So the freedom, you know, it, it's, it's like this parallel world where you can express whatever you want. And um, I think that's one of the redeeming qualities of the internet or, or maybe one of the most important aspects of it which is why i think people have an issue with this censorship but i think because people desire it so much it's probably part of the motivation for these technologies that are being developed to preserve uh privacy and to counter censorship and and these sorts of things because you know it is um somewhat of a bastion of of, of freedom in a exterior world that seems to be now i don't know if this is just kind of like a short-term cycle rather than the long-term, you know, cause they, as has been said, can't remember who said it, but the arc of history bends toward freedom. Um, but we certainly seem to be maybe in a, uh, you know, a micro bend away from that. And so I, I think the increasing relevance of, of the internet being a, a domain of freedom is perhaps we're moving into a period where it's, it's more relevant. And, um, yeah, I mean, lots of sci-fi movies based on the, that notion, I guess. Oh yes, absolutely. No, the the internet is a is a great enabler. It's a beautiful tool that individuals can use to express themselves freely. Um, and you know, if used properly, it's very difficult even to censor it. Um, you know, short targeted attacks attacks are possible, but you know, there's layers of defense that will defend to a certain degree. Um, so this this is a beautiful way to engage with others and to. Uh, express yourself and to reveal yourself to the world selectively, right? That aspect of privacy, um, and it's it's a huge enabler. It's a, it's a huge liberator, uh, and I think it has been tremendously successful. Um, again, specifically because so sh- so sharing information on the praxeological sense means entrepreneurs um, help each other to improve their technologies, uh, to improve their understanding on how to use tools and, uh, and um, how to better allocate their capital and their time. Right. So the, the Internet in that sense is a is so like a beautiful capitalist invention because it can be used by entrepreneurs to coordinate and to exchange information and uh, to well, build deeper production stages, basically, uh, which is has, has tremendous benefit. And we see this to, to a huge just extent of with that aspect of having instant global communication, how much more interconnected the, the global monetary uh, system has become and, and that marketplace that that's, that this enables, you know, specifically for services types where, uh, you know, if it's just talking or doing, uh, providing a, a labor task in cyberspace, um, literally the, the, the marketplace for that exchange of, of labor for money is is incredibly liquid now for any small 13 year old child in Timbuktu can can be a profitable uh, entrepreneur in in the agora which is a, a beautiful thing yeah um max i can't let you go without asking you this question and i i've been spending a lot of time on it lately probably too much 
Um, but given that you've thought so deeply about these things and you're so involved in all of this, touched on it uh, you know, half an hour ago in this conversation, but what, what's your impression or, or thoughts or to what do you attribute the seeming um, influence on behavior that being involved in Bitcoin and going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole seems to uh, have on people? Um, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but just in, in a lot of the, I, I've been talking with a lot of, um, you know, unknown quote unquote Bitcoiners, you know, on, on Twitter and stuff and doing podcasts with them. And, you know, I'm, I'm getting this consistent narrative of these uh, very similar and fairly dramatic either life turnarounds or just kind of, uh, you know, refinements in behavior in people's lives since they've gotten involved in Bitcoin. Um, and I, I, don't think it's just a result of, you know, mixing it up on Twitter and being influenced by whatever's going down there. I think it's deeper than that, but I was just wondering if you had noticed that and what your thoughts on why that might be occurring are. It's super interesting for sure, right? Uh, because I agree that it is just such a, a huge overlap. And th I think there are many angles to it. So, so I think first and foremost, um, you know, individuals have problems and they try to find solutions for it. And I think that many solve problems in the existing fiat system, you know, specifically those who understand economics or you know, those who just have a half of a brain and a minor ability to reason will eventually find out that the fiat system is a scam. <laughs> um, and so they, they were looking for a solution. And, you know, at, at that point where you, you see there's a problem, but you have not yet found the solution, that's quite devastating, right? That's, that's really depressive. And then eventually you discover Bitcoin, which opens up to be that, that genius solution to exactly that problem that you saw. And I think that itself, it, in and of itself is such a positive, like, like a, a positive change of, of scenarios. Like you were completely devastated because you just had no clue um, what to do in the situation. All of a sudden you find magical, unfuckwithable cyberspace money, Bitcoin, and you're like, wow, this is amazing. So this kind of gives you this boost, this, this lift, um, this, this, this push of adrenaline, adrenaline to, to keep going, right, and, and to do something. Um, so I think that this is one of the important aspects. But I think another nice point of view is that you actually feel a noticeable difference when using Bitcoin. Um, you know, the more you fall down the rabbit hole, the more you learn about this, specifically the more you earn Bitcoin and the more you hold Bitcoin, you like again if you hold fiat shit if you demand to be paid in fiat you're being stolen from like 90 plus percent every year of everything that you own is being taken from you right and you might not even realize that in in quantitative numbers how how large that extent is but it's happening right and your energy is just being drained at a rapid rate um so when opting out of that and when holding fiat when holding bitcoin and demanding to be paid in bitcoin this just means that all of a sudden, 95% of taxation of theft is gone, right? And all of a sudden, all of your capital is yours. Nobody can take it from you. And, and you see that instant, like, huge improvement from your being fucked 24-7 and, and raped pretty hardcore <laughs> to all of a sudden you are in this unfuckable citadel uh, with basically an army protecting your property. And it's this instant thing of just demanding to be paid in Bitcoin and holding your savings in Bitcoin. And it's such a major improvement. And individuals realize that. 
right? You, you, you realize that it's a much better situation than it was before and that it has the potential to become even more greater than that. Uh, and I think this is then what, what just gives that, that passion and that continuous fire because we see that it works. And we're like, like Galileo, look, look through the looking glass. It, like this works. This is a solution to so many of our problems. And if you use it, you will be more prosperous and more productive and more healthy. Uh, and th this is, I think, why it is such a, a thriving, such a compelling um, industry to, to be in. Yeah, maybe it's just like that. And you described it perfectly when, when you get that jolt, like when you first start using and holding Bitcoin, you kind of realize the, the change dynamic of, of your capital and your wealth. And um, yeah, you get that jolt of empowerment, right? And maybe yeah, the, yeah. Moment, the momentum of that just carries you through to being like, well, where else am I detracting from this sense of empowerment I'm now feeling, right? What else is kind of holding me back or holding me down? And what can I do to rectify that? And perhaps yeah, that's... Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, perhaps that's what just makes people kind of go through their their life and say, well, everything's on the chopping block now. I, you know, I got to look into all yeah. this. And they find uh, find those things that, that might be not instilling in them a similar sense or any sense of empowerment. And they may yeah. just say, okay, well, this needs to be changed. And they find, you know, a solution. And maybe we're just coalescing on common solutions that seem to be effective at instilling a greater sense of empowerment in whatever domain we're, we're addressing. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is this is a bit similar to when an individual first shoots a gun, right? specifically a powerful one, like semi-automatic big caliber right? that is really forceful. And all of a sudden you, you realize the, the huge power that you have, right? And, and the force that you can apply and the extent that you can manifest change, like to the drastic extent of, of being able to kill very effectively with such a tool. Right? And to, to actually have that power and to be able to do that and to go completely crazy, right? to understand that, that ability and that responsibility that comes with that, um, I think is, is to a similar degree. Right? So many people, after they, they shot for the first time at a shooting range, they're thrilled and they want to do it again because it's actually it's liberating. Right? You realize the power that you have and that sovereignty, that aspect to defend yourself. Um, but it's also scary because you realize that you have the power to do evil, quote unquote, right? To be aggressive, mm -hmm. um, to, to harm others and to be destructive and to destroy capital. Um, so this potential comes hand in hand, right? Freedom it has that responsibility of your action. If, if you do a positive action, you reap the rewards. But if you do a negative action, you carry the full consequences. Um, so this, this is why it's both liberating and scary and there, this is what I meant earlier. I think there is a subsection of individuals who who thrive in that environment of of huge adrenaline of that realization of individual liberty, and they are willing to take on the the responsibility that this entails. And and these are these in, in individuals fighting for for liberties. And then there's the other, uh, or like there's a other group of society where um, they they don't necessarily want to have the thrill and that excitement. And specifically, they don't want to have that um, that responsibility that comes with it. It's very expensive. If you fuck up, you carry the consequences. Right? If you fuck up, you die, basically. If you produce something wrong and you don't have enough food for the next year, you're not going to survive the winter. Um, and, and that is very scary. And I think multiple individuals will will not take that trade-off and, and this risk assessment um, and, and therefore not strive for that, for that freedom and that sovereignty. 
Yeah, you, you, you know, you just mentioned something. Uh, I, I was, I've been listening to Jordan Peterson's biblical series uh, podcast uh, when I go out oh, for run, runs and stuff. Yeah, they really are. And one I tweeted about just right before we hopped on the call today was, um, he says, there's some real utility in knowing that you're a monster. And yeah. uh, I think you touched on, you, you said it beautifully just then and, and what that is. And of course, he, anyone who's interested, he breaks into it in a lot more detail in those lectures. And I highly recommend listening to them because, um, yeah, there's a lot of great wisdom and insight that he, he extracts from those, those yeah, texts. Ab- absolutely. And specifically, one book that I that is co- discovered through Peterson, and we're super grateful that I read it, um, was The Gulag Archipelago. I'm reading um, it now. By <laughs> Oh man, that's such a powerful book. Yeah, it's like it's a horror story, seriously, because you understand just in in such a depth and in, in so many pages of so well written content, you just realize first of all the evil that that socialism and communism is, and that the the evil that that manifests in individuals who are, who get caught up by this idea, um, and the extent of the evil that they are willing to do. Um, by being blinded by that ideology and mindset. And then, as you said, right, realizing that this could be you, mm-hmm. that you could have made all of these choices, that this is absolutely understandable why individuals were were like tyrannizing others and, and torturing them in the most serene situations. But to understand the capacity to do that and what, like to have that that ability, again, that power in yourself, you could become a tremendous tyrant and ruin the life of hundreds of thousands of people um, very effectively, probably, if you apply your will to it. Mm. Um, and that is a potential. That is one of the potential scenarios that you can manifest if you put your capital and your time and your attention into it. Um, and, and again, to realize that this is an option and that it, this is a potential option that you could actually manifest is extremely scary. Right, and you, this is why I'm I'm so um, like rigorous in in the analysis of my first principles and my methodological approach, and these assumptions and the logical reasoning on top, because if if I don't have that, right, if there's a flaw in my reasoning, in my point of view, then I I am absolutely capable to manifest something devastating in this world, uh, and that is something that I don't want to carry the karma and the responsibility for. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it also, I think it enhances the value of your expression of good also, like not in just as a means of avoiding your own expression of those like, you know, horrendous or monstrous behavior, but knowing that you can and still choosing to, to, to be good. um, I think that increases the value of it so much more and probably a lot of other things too, that I'm, I'm just not thinking of, but I mean, you know, as, as a, as they explain, or I can't remember if it's actually Peterson that explained, I'm sure he did at some point, but you know, if you're just kind of by default, good, you know, it's your cultural conditioning, it's your familial conditioning, whatever, then that's, you know, that's wonderful, but it's, it's not tested. And it's, if you don't, if it's not balanced with kind of your recognition of the monstrous inside of you, then it's almost like it's less, less of a conscious decision. And, and uh, I, I think it's, I think it's good that, you recognize the monster inside of you, not only so that you know how to tame it and not get, let it get out of the control and have it, have it, uh, you know, make you do all those horrendous things you just articulated, but that you, you know, you, 
you know that you're making the good and right decisions in spite of it. And that maybe enhance, you know, makes it more valuable, enhances your conviction, something like that around your expression of good. Yes, absolutely. Right. You, uh, and again, you, when you realize that you're actually powerful, that you can actually manifest right. change, that you can actually create this universe with every action. Um, this is very empowering. Uh, and, and yes, it, it is scary because it comes with that responsibility of what do you do? Again, what do you want to manifest? What do you want to build? Mm. What is this most important thing that you focus your time and your capital? Um, and again, this is such a, such a difficult question precisely because of this. Uh, and if you fuck up that question, if, if you make a, a, a misjudgment in this, um, in this question and trying to answer it and trying to apply that strategy that you come up with, then again, you carry the responsibilities. And if, you're, if your actions are destructive, uh, then you will suffer from the long-term results of this, inevitably, yeah. always. And even on a you know, that deeper philosophical level that you keep uh, referring to, which I love, it's like the, you can't have creation without destruction, right? You want to make a chair, you got to cut down a tree. You know, you want to, it's, it's always this causal and, cause and effect relationship. And I think it's important to recognize that, that if, if you're going to be, a, you know, creating something, you're necessarily probably going to be destroying something. And so having a handle on both of those forces within you is, you know, is, is probably uh, the most balanced and most, I guess, advisable or, or beneficial way to go about it. Yeah, exactly. And I think there are two nice ways where you can see that destruction actually going on. Um, so, so first of all, is a destruction of potential, right? So the, the future is uncertain. It's, it's black. Uh, there's a lot of uneasiness, a lot of darkness, uh, and uh, not, we're not sure how it actually will play out because there's so many variables that we just cannot control. And so that is that aspect of seeing multiple scenarios. There is not just one clear vision of how the future is, but there are multiple, right? You, you, you could eat a steak or you could eat um, you know, ribs or you could eat uh, bone marrow, right? All of those three are delicious options. Which of these will you take, right? So there are, there's, there's multiple potentials and then the aspect of choice is the aspect of destroying everything but one, right? right? All of these other options are being obliterated. They never, like they, you, um, out of that creative spark that you have as an individual, you, you, you dampen it down, you, you decrease that potential and you, you remove all the entropy that could have been by only manifesting that one highest, most profitable and most uh, subjectively valuable um, task that you're doing right now. So this is one side of the of the destruction, to to walk out into the unknown, to to venture out into that sea of darkness, and that other aspect is to manifest change, right? Action is change. You are in a state of uneasiness. You venture out into different opportunities, and you grab the one that is most important and most meaningful, and you act. And that current situation is no longer, and a new situation has manifested. And that aspect of change that the old is gone and that it will never come back and that it is that is lost a, a moment in time lost forever uh, in that past um and that aspect of destruction is is the other um and that is of course also difficult right to let go of the things that have been uh, of the things that that uh, just are as like this is what it is and the past is and it will not change uh, and, and that second aspect that 
um, once something has changed, the original state is destroyed and cannot uh, be reached backwards, um, is that other aspect of human action. Mm. And, you know, kind of what we were talking about earlier about primary, you know, motivations for, for action is, as you were saying, like when you have three things in your mind or four things in your mind and you decide to focus on one and kind of destroy the, the, the focus on, on the other ones as concepts in your mind, um, it makes me think of kind of really getting down to, well, that's the, that's one of the good questions is what is the, the underlying motive for what you destroy and what you create, right? Whether, even if it's just a, an idea, right? If you just a matter of what you're focusing on in, in terms of abstraction in your mind, it's like, what's, what's the principle within you that's determining what gets created and what gets destroyed? You know, I, I don't know if there's a, I don't think there's a singular answer to that question, but you know, I think it's again one what we we all probably ought to ask ourselves ask ourselves um, frequently. Maybe you know why are we deciding to hold these things and let go of these things? Yes, exactly. And then, and this is kind of where, where praxeology ends. Praxeology is, is the science of um, finding the causal relations um, between means and ends. Um, however, that that aspect um, does not talk about what ends to choose. Right. Praxeology is a science of what happens when you choose an end and you try to reach it. But the, the question of what end to choose, what of the many potentials to do, is something that is, is not possible to reason with in the science. Mm. Because again, it is based on individuality and these value judgments are subjective um, and these preferences are, are unique uh, to every individual. Um, and this is, uh, this is one, of, yeah, one of these core aspects. But... It's, it's still, despite it not being part of the praxeological science, it's still such an important question, right? Um, like, why do you actually act? Um, why, what is the, the ultimate end? Um, the end that is no longer a means, right? So, so for example, um, like you're, you're, uh, you're hungry and, and you want to eat. So, so that, that state of not being hungry anymore after you've eaten the steak, that is the goal. But it is not your end goal. Right, you, but rather you, you, you eat the steak so that you can live on for another day, right, and be be more productive. So the short-term end goal um, of of being not hungry is not the not the ultimate goal, not the ultimate end uh, that the individual strives for. Mm. Um, but it's it's so difficult to find that question of what ultimately do you want to do. <laughs> Amen. All right, Max, last, last one for you. And I, I, we might be circling back a bit here, but I wanted to ask you because it's, it's, it's very much related to uh, the question about um, that we were talking about Bitcoin and, and kind of this inspired behavior change. And I think we actually did a pretty good justice in, in our little exchange about it. But um, Breed, Robert Breedlove in his recent article, Masters and Slaves, which I thought was a, a great piece, uh, Masters and Slaves of Money, rather, um, he invokes the idea of the um, alchemist's incorruptible substance and relates that to to Bitcoin. And uh, you know, if that were the you know, if we kind of accept that premise, then 
it stands to reason that such a substance would would naturally kind of have many transformative effects on the people that engaged with it. Because, you know, mm-hmm. basically, if it's incorruptible, that by default, that means the person engaging with it's going to have to change, not the substance itself, itself, yeah. rather than, you know, maybe a more natural back and forth between object and subject uh, in any relationship where both can change, you know, maybe there's always some, well, as we've been saying, this whole conversation, there's, you know, kind of cause and effect that relationship where both are always always change and always transform if we have this kind of incorruptible substance maybe that imposes the the necessity for change and transformation on the subject rather than the object and um you know maybe that's part of the reason why we see these uh, these changes being inspired in people that engage with bitcoin i'm just wondering if you had thoughts on that oh yeah that's super super interesting i think it for sure resonates uh true to a certain extent but bitcoin really is this uh, incorruptible pure pure asset right it is pure information and it was it was very beautifully and, and logically defined in 2008 and 9 by satoshi and since then these uh, the, the assumptions of the protocol as well as its logical implementations uh, have not been broken and um, it, we're still in consensus uh, and this is just beautiful if you think about it so so th- that you're right right you're not going to change bitcoin uh, but Bitcoin's going to change you. Uh, and that is that might really be one of these reasons why individuals who are curious about the technology and and involved in building in the space um, are are experiencing such a such a monumental shift in their mindset and in their actions um that that, that is for sure very compelling. Um, and again, I, I think this is this is so true because Bitcoin is so sound on its on its theoretical foundations. Like the first principles of the technology are are so solid, and it is it is implemented to a pure and and true extent, um, and I, th- I think that's that's just one of the many reasons why it is such a monumental and breathtaking technology that devours the attention of so many individuals. <laughs> um, so you got that right. Um, well, Max, as expected, this has been. A really enjoyable conversation. I'm I'm sure we could go for hours, um, and I hope one day in the not too distant future we will meet in Meet Space and actually set out a big chunk of time and just have a few drinks and and keep going on this discussion. But for now, yes. I'll uh, I'll let you get back to your life. Do you want to just uh, mention again the details for um, the Congress this weekend for anyone who's interested? Yeah, so you know, we, we talked about a, a lot of philosophy and, uh, but but also a lot of applied strategies, uh, and and think if the listeners really enjoyed that conversation, uh, they will also enjoy the Hackers Congress quite a lot, uh, because for me it was always that nice junction of beautiful philosophy uh, and and radical thinking together with applied theories and actual liberation strategies that individuals can use today. Uh, so the Hackers Congress, the seventh annual, with the theme Digital Totality, that could not be any more fitting than it is in 2020. Uh, the tyranny that is manifesting in this year uh, is is to such a shocking extent. And the technologies of cyberspace that these pirates are, are using now are extremely effective and absolutely dangerous. Uh, so th- that we really do need to defend ourselves uh, to, to a large extent. And the Hackers Congress is a place where it's not just going to be about the philosophy and the theory, but it will also be especially um, about learning these tools uh, and how to use them properly. Um, and, and this is why I'm so excited about the Hackers Congress and where I'm so happily 
um, yeah, contributing now uh, with, with with helping out to organize it. Um, and again, these these tickets to the uh, event platform uh, and the three stages with the workshops are available at hcpp.zz. Of course, uh, with a self-hosted BTC Pay server uh, accepting Bitcoin payments both on-chain and over Lightning, as it should be. <laughs> and yeah, you know, John, good, good news for for all your awesome listeners, uh, because uh, they they can get a fifty percent discount code, uh, which is a substantial amount of stack wow. saving uh, on on both the cyberspace uh, stages as well as the workshops. Um, so that discount code is is John Vallis. Uh, just the name of the podcast. Or no, wait, the name of the podcast is Rapid Fire, actually. Bitcoin uh, Rapid Fire. The name of the beautiful host is John. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the, the discount code is all one word, John Bowles? Precisely, yes. Okay, and 50% okay. of, the, of the tickets. Wow, that is awesome. Thank you guys very much for that that amazing offer. And uh, I was looking at the, the workshop list and the speaker list, and you know, it looks incredible. You're doing a workshop, I think, on, on privacy and... I, I have I have two workshops. Uh, the first is on uh, how to earn and live on Bitcoin. Right, so right. praxeological entrepreneurial strategies uh, to stack more sats, basically. Um, and the other is applied Bitcoin privacy. Right. Uh, so basically how to use a full stack of Bitcoin weapons uh, effectively and privately. Um, and then my, my talk on stage will be a bit more uh, philosophical uh, than applied. Um, the, the, the title is I, the individual, exist, and it is a, a analysis starting on that first pr principle of, of individual action and seeing what, where we can go with this one assumption. Wow. Dude, these, um, as much as I love these conversations, not, I mean, they just don't do this type of discussion justice. You know, I need to be, you know, around a table looking at you and we need to be having this conversation over you know, perhaps several beers, but uh, for the time <laughs> for the time being, it'll have to uh, suffice. So, man, it's uh, it's always a pleasure. Really appreciate you coming on, and uh, really hope the con the Congress goes well. It looks like a really awesome event, and uh, I wish. Unfortunately, I can't be involved this time, but hopefully next time. Yeah, you know, um, I've really uh, would have been loved to, to to have you on at the HCPP TV, uh, which is which is one of the crazy side projects at the at the Congress. <laughs> Like a, a 58 hour nonstop live stream. It's amazing. It's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> 30 plus amazing Bitcoin podcasters uh, to co host. Um, so, so I know your scheduling is tight, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, maybe we can see you spontaneously or, or anytime then again in the future uh, to, to just talk more about these themes because it's just that important information to share. Yeah. I uh, could, so, so I couldn't agree more, man. It would be uh, awesome to participate in anything around this stuff at some point. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, so again, thanks, thanks, John, very much for the invitation. It really was a was a great conversation, uh, as usual and as expected with you. Uh, <laughs> so uh, really prosperous and, and thriving. Uh, so the, thanks again, and, and looking forward to come on to the next show again. Absolutely, Max. My pleasure, man. Take care of yourself. Yeah, you too. Bye, bye, John.
Let's go.